Hey there, film fans. I am Jeff. I am Dave. And I am John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod <laughs> in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. Drink! So anytime we say anything negative or stupid about oh. a film, you're going to hear this sound. <laughs> Which means that one or all of us are going to be taking a drink to make sure this podcast stays nice and positive. That's my speech. (laughs) (laughs) So pour yourselves a glass, join us and give it up the films we love and perhaps the films that need some love. This week. Well, that's what I said. I was like, we're going to keep this positive. And then I was like, we're talking about one of the best movies of all time. So of course it's going to be fucking positive. But we also, you know what? We should say off the bat, that we do have another, we have we have a gush alarm in case we we talk too much. So don't think we're just going to be sitting here only saying nice like like lovey dovey flowery stuff, all right? Because if you hear the gush alarm, you're going to have to take a drink, and you know, John, that's going to hit you sooner sooner rather than later, I imagine. But before we get into Place the films bets. from the year 1968, year 1968. Before we get into those films, we're going to kick it over to John for some shout outs. All right, as always, we want to thank our beer sponsor. By the way, Jeff and Dave, Carlos made some beers just for us. I'm not up what? there, so you guys should figure out a way to pick them up. Dave. He made a huge batch just for the podcast, so uh, he told me to let you guys car. know. Carlos! We're gonna sw- I just got, got a car. car. We're going we're gonna to swing by. Dude, we're going to pick them up. You've got to pick them up. He told me he's going to get it dude. to you guys, so <laughs> please fucking do that. You can give Carlos Barozzo a follow. His handle on Instagram is cbarozzo bar twenty nineteen. That's c b a r r o z o b a r two zero one nine. And as always, the music here on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein D a s e i n. You can find all the music available for free downloads at SoundCloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. Good God. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, before we get into the film year of nineteen sixty eight. Um, we're going to do, uh, we can add news to this segment. If anybody has a news segment you want to, you want to add to our weekly, what have you been watching segment? So why don't we go ahead and start as usual with Dave, what you've been watching? It's, it's been a slow news week, so there's not too much except for, you know, Batman getting COVID. Yeah, um, hang in there, Robert. Yeah. yeah. Wait, <laughs> yeah. I know he's Batman getting COVID, but. Come on, Tenet. That's all we care about. He's in Tenet, all right? Yeah. Nobody ever gave a shit about what happened to Tenet. Heard, yeah, like, I heard he's in Tenet. Tenet. Yeah. I heard he's in Tenet. When, yeah. did, when does that come out? But that's right. Batman got COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, this this week, I, I had a big TV week. I didn't, the only, really, the only movie I watched, um, I put it on while I was working in the background as I want to do. And uh, that was Resident Evil Afterlife. And I couldn't, I couldn't even leave the fucking thing on while I was working. I had to turn it off. It was so bad. <laughs> oh, no. There's the buzzer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a franchise. And, uh, Somehow Resident Evil didn't make it into our franchise face-off, you guys. Uh, I can't, know. can't imagine. Well, yeah, they, like, yeah, I'm sorry. One and six is not a good ratio. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that is, that is it, dude. We should all drink, I guess, because oh, there yeah, is only true, one true. good Resident Evil movie. <laughs> Dave, I, uh, Dave, I can't believe that you haven't started The Boys Season 2. Which I, have. I have. Oh, yeah. uh, I started The Boys tonight, actually, just before the podcast, so I'm fucking pumped. It's, uh, it's, it's just a little a, weird. Oh, to nice. say I've started the boys. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. in boys. No, no, I'm, I'm good it. with it. I'm good with it. I'm embracing the boys. Um, it's, How uh, deep are you in the boys? Uh, only only one. Only one in. Okay. Um, yeah. 
just went with that. <laughs> Can't buzz it. Sorry, uh, mom and dad. Love you guys. Also, He's only uh, one in. He's only also, one in. Uh, I caught. Uh, I started watching the Twelve Monkeys series uh, based off the movie. Oh. Um, yeah. That holds up. It's not. It's not bad. They they twisted around a little bit, and also, uh, of course, Raised by Wolves, which I've been waiting to see what that what comes of that. And uh, I'm two episodes in. First one's a little. You know, you're not quite sure where this is going, but by the time you get to the second one, you're hooked. If you're going to be mm. hooked, you'll be hooked by two. All right. Wow. Nice. Dude. Awesome. John? I, uh, I was a bad film fan this week. Again, I watched some more Star Trek, and I watched some something that I cannot fucking remember what I watched. So clearly what it was a memorable. Mem- what a memorable <laughs> picture. Responsible audience member. Yeah, that's the shit out of me. I'm sorry, film fans. That was, that was my bad. I'm going to come to you in the middle of a segment. Um, I watched the first episode of two series. I watched the first ever episode of The Umbrella Academy, which I'm going to go ahead and say did not catch me, but it did the thing where it starts in a really dramatic place. Yep. And I just, it, it gets fun by the end of it. I just, I just don't know because season two is out. I, I don't know if I'm going to give it 20 hours, but it, it does look really, 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 really fun. So kudos to everybody that's on The Umbrella Academy. I've, I've, given, that, watched... I've given that 20 hours. It's worth it. Was for me. Uh, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Good, 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 good. Um, I also wanted to. I love Kate Blanchett, and I, I had been putting off Mrs. America, so I watched the first episode mm. of that, and I'm happy to keep going with that. But I, I loved season one of The Boys. So where am I going to go next week? Am I going to go Mrs. America? Am I going to go The Boys? Tune in next week to find out what I did watch. Uh, there's only, three, to, there's only three episodes of The Boys out at the moment, so you know you can. Oh yeah, take a week off. I, I forgot they're doing the Hulu thing. Mm. Thank you for pivoting Amazon. That's awesome. Um. I had a, another long drive. I've been driving a lot this summer, hence why I got this car. And there's, an, there's a podcast. We never shout out podcasts because fuck our competition. But there's uh-huh. a podcast <laughs> that was a one-off that I highly recommend to everybody called Dr. Death. If you have a drive, because I was like bored in the car and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I just wish we were there. I wish I wasn't driving. What should we listen to? And it's basically about this doctor that went all around the South, especially in Texas. And he's... Uh, he has to be some kind of nar- like narcissistic uh, sociopath. He's he's a neurosurgeon, but he sucks at neurosurgery. So all of his patients either get paralyzed or die. It's really sad and dramatic, but he gets away with it and he keeps performing surgeries oh, and we, he goes from hospital to hospital. We had one of those it in is, Australia. He, Jesus. He was, loses yeah. screws in people's bodies. So screws that he's supposed to put into people's spines are just lost in their bodies and stuff. Like, oh he is God, terrible. Dude. But but he keeps practicing medicine. Anyway, Dr. Death, I highly recommend it. Yeah, how do you Otherwise, fake, I just how, remembered. How do you fake your medical resume? Fuck. I know, Dave. I'm telling you. Yeah. I don't know. John, go John, ahead. I'm going to put that on my list. Get it out, John. I watched, I watched uh, that CNN documentary. It's a feature film documentary called On the Trail about uh, several oh. different female uh, correspondents who were on the trail for the Democratic campaign leading oh. into what's been happening since then. It's on HBO That's Max. Awesome. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Mm. It shows a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, not just faces you're used to seeing, but some embeds and people behind the scenes and stuff. Yeah. All women, diverse, of nice. course. You know, It was really interesting. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. I was happy to watch it. Awesome. Fuck fascism. All right, here we go. <laughs> We are going to get into the film year 1968. This was the random year generator that Dave's random year generator um, brought up for us. We started doing this after our coronavirus franchise face-off happened, which has already been shouted out. If you are curious to know what we thought was the greatest franchise of all time, having spent so much time rewatching dozens of franchises, go back in our feed and, and look at our franchise face up when this ended new movies weren't coming out so we're basically going through the years randomly 
picking out three pictures that we think need a, a second look, things that we could talk about on the podcast here. So uh, the Random Year Generator took 1968 for us. Now, yeah. so we 1967. Picked a nice ex- we picked a nice obscure one for the first one. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. 1967 changed film altogether because The Graduates and Bonnie and Clyde, they um, broke the studio system mold a little bit. Independent features, all of a sudden we're getting award show buzz. So you can see in 1968, you get some more of that. Um, the highest grossing film of 1968. Did either of you come across what is the highest grossing film no, of 1968? What is it? According to um, thenumbers.com and Wikipedia, it's actually Funny Girl. Oh, that makes sense. sense. That makes sense. I knew. I figured it would be one of the musicals. Yeah, yeah. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand tied. This is this is Barbara Streisand's breakout. If you know who Barbara Streisand is as a singer or an actress, it's because of Funny Girl, 1968. And if you don't, yeah, that's right. Yeah, everybody, everybody from Long Island just said, "Go fuck off." Um, So Barbara Streisand tied with Catherine Hepburn for the Lion in Winter for Best Actress at the Oscars, right? Number two, and, and we'll have to break this down more, but number two, it says, is one of our films, which is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Now, I know, and I know that you know, that this film did not release well at first, and then oh. it re-released, and basically, the film's just staying around, and let's go ahead and say LSD definitely helps, so that over time, eventually, a lot of people started to see it. But uh, after that, you got The Odd Couple with Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. You've got another one of our films. You've got A Romeo and Juliet. You've got Planet mm. of the Apes, Rosemary's Baby... The Greed Berets, mm. Line in Winter, maybe some films you've heard or, or not heard. The Thomas Crown Affair, not the one with Pierce Brosnan. This is the original <laughs> Thomas Crown Affair is in there. Finian's Rainbow. Um, I, I read something really funny, which is, so we, we have a musical in our list. If you've obviously looked at the episode <clears throat> title, you will know that. And on in Wikipedia, when you type in the film year 1968, Spoiler for our pod. It says basically 1968 is a great year because 2001 A Space Odyssey came out this year. And also, it was a great year for movie musicals featuring two fantastic movie musicals, Funny Girl and Oliver. It does not mention <laughs> Chitty Chitty Bang Bang <laughs> as one of the great musicals in this great musical or, year. Or oh, no. Finian's Rainbow. It's, or Finian's yeah. Rainbow, which is, yeah, Coppola. exactly. Coppola. Oh, Coppola, um, no. right? Uh, Chitty's The yeah. Dark Knight Rises. Oh my God, you're Batman. right. Holy shit, yeah. That was early <laughs> yeah. for him, too. Um, so... Anyway, we have decided, yeah, Oliver the Musical won Best Picture and Best Director. I mean, how could 2001 possibly compete with Oliver (laughs) (laughs) at the Oscars? I don't even even think Kubrick was nominated for Best Director. Anyway, um, here we go. So we're going to talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey first. Second movie we're going to talk about is Bullet, B-U-L-L-I-T-T. Now, a lot of people may recognize the name if if you're looking at the episode title, it is actually more famous of a movie than you thought. It is the fourth highest grossing film of this year. And Steve McQueen's Mustang that he drove in this movie is what is considered to be one of the most famous cars in cinema history. Obviously, it does not beat the DeLorean, but it is very high up there. Um, yeah, so this Mustang is very, very famous. The bullet chase scene is really, it, it's a very, very famous film with Steve McQueen. So I really hope you stick around for that part of our podcast. So we're going to talk about that second. And then... We usually reserve the third film to be our redemption feature, which is our Was It Really That Bad? Now, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, generally speaking, is beloved in, in ways. It's yeah, not beloved I, actually, in the way that in, the sound of in, music. In, uh, in all fairness, I think we should change the segment name this week to Was It Only Good Because I Was Five. Exa- yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. The question is, 
Is it only good because I was five? Dave, you just nailed it. All right. So we are going to give that another look as full grown ass adults. Also, two of us have BFAs in musical theater. So, you know, maybe it's going to be worth hearing what we have to say. I, I also have a, I have a sweet musical. FA in musical theater. A sweet FA? Is that the Australian <laughs> version or is that? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Anyway, so stick around for all these segments. Jump around if you like. We are obviously going to start with one of the great films of all time. 2001 a space odyssey this may or may not be one of john's favorite films i will not speak for him um it's up there but sure (laughs) let's go ahead because so a lot of people talk about what it means and all this kind of stuff let's just go with impressions first maybe and then that'll sort of so i I also don't know where to start the film i wrote down some things off the bat just to, to ease us into it here we go so I actually watched this with my family and with Chloe. My dad was fucking hyped to watch this movie again with the score. <laughs> he was so yeah, stoked. Um, the film starts. It has the opening sequence with... Yeah, it is the most yeah, famous theme drops. on the planet. Can, yeah. I, can I just say, like, you, um, and then, have I told you the story behind this, the theme? Damn it. Um, no, but wait, hold on one second. My, oh, I just wanted to segue into this by saying... Chloe asked me after it, oh, it it pops up and it says the dawn of man. And she says, yeah. oh, wait, wait, wait. Is this a comedy? And I went, <laughs> no, but I, I I get it. I see it. She she thought she was like, this looks like a Mel Brooks movie. And I was like, oh, yes, no, you're yes, exactly it does. right. Well, has uh, she seen but, History of the World? That, yes, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. Um, I, have a sp- I, I wrote down I wrote down this is National Geographic meets The Lion King meets Tarzan. Um, but then again, that was only for the first segment. Anyway, it's it, the movie opens with apes and prehistoric man, and then it jumps thousands of years into the future, and we're in space. What were your first impressions, Dave? You have a story to tell. I, I do. I mean, first, it's it's funny. First, real fast before you say that, let's just say very quickly so we can get this out of the way. The, yeah, we the don't want to hear Dave's IMDb story blurb, anyway. The little IMDb <laughs> blurb says Is that it worth after. It? Uh, after discovering a mysterious artifact buried beneath the lunar surface, mankind sets on a quest. Uh, sets off on a quest to find its origins with help from intelligent supercomputer HAL nine thousand. The H A L nine thousand. Yeah, if you uh, haven't yeah. seen so, this movie, I don't know how much that helps, but that's sort of what exactly. happens. Well, I just want to get that out of the way because we're going. That's sort of that's what we're going to talk I mean, about. You, Dave, you don't meet HAL till an hour and twenty in. So it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I, I remember the. Um, I think I remember the first time Jeff saw this. Uh, uh-huh. I believe, uh, because it was when we were all living together in the apartment. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, you came home at, I think it was like 11.30 at night, and I had a four, like a 6 a.m. call the next morning. So at 4.30 in Sorry. the morning, wake up. And at midnight, John suggested you watch 2001. And I'm, we were actually I'm, at a bar, my, when my, John, and John told every yeah. single person at the bar that I was about to and go my, watch And my bedroom is time. right next to the living room. So these guys have come home, and I'm I'm laying there peacefully asleep, and suddenly I've been jolted awake by <laughs> I sat I sat bolt upright in bed, realized what was going on, went, No, that's fucking fair, that's the only way to listen to that. And went back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I think you came out and joined us for a little yeah, bit of it. A little bit. <laughs> You're like, fuck it. I yeah. know I felt so bad. No, but, uh, but it's true. It's it the only way to live. If you when you're going to put this on, turn it up at the beginning. It's it's so yeah. worth it. Like it gets you into yeah, it, dude. and you've got you've got a bit to get through at the beginning. Um, so I mean, what was your do, first? Yeah, was so, it, yeah talk wait, to John, me. About... We'll wait on you because we know you love this movie, Dave. What was your first impression? Like? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think everyone's first impression. If you're one of the hundred people who haven't seen this movie, is don't worry, you did not hit play on Planet of the Apes by mistake. Just give it a minute. <laughs> 
uh, there's a, there's a reason for what's going on. And it like it doesn't start, and it it's really funny because like there's this whole beginning at the dawn of man, and it's there's no dialogue, uh, and you're sitting there and you're like, what what the fuck is happening? Like I thought I was watching a science fiction movie, and it's almost like Kubrick went, yeah, I know what you've come here to see, but you're gonna fucking see it my way, and you're gonna see it when I want you to see it, and mm-hmm. that's a, that's the kind of direction that like uh, for instance, my favorite movie Scott Pilgrim, uh, with like directed by Edgar Wright, he he was like, I'm going to make this movie the way I want to fucking make it. So I can't really not respect that in that he, t- he took his time, he's new, and he, he almost sat there until you forgot there was a world <laughs> outside. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, yeah, John, go I mean, on. Do, do you want to start with uh, setup about like... The... No, I mean, I, I, honestly, like how do you... Anyone who has seen this movie, like we, we're not going to hit it all, you guys. I, I'm going to, I've been intimidated by having this conversation. This is arguably my favorite film. I don't really know how to talk about it in 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, I do want to hear what you guys thought, especially after seeing it more than once. I did want to ask you just to clarify really quickly. This might be a fun jumping off point. Did you watch the version on HBO Max or did you buy the version that has the the um, the on-track and the overture? It's not really an overture. It's music that plays over a black screen before the movie starts. I mean, it's not really an overture. Uh, No, I I watched the one on HBO Max with the uh, intermission and the on-track in the second second half. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah. Okay, so this movie, if you would have gone to see it in 1968, and they do it with some special screenings now, and you can buy this version. It's about six minutes longer, and it has an overture, and it has an on-track, and that it's this it's the music with the weird that I don't know how to pronounce his name Georgi Ligeti. So it's the weird choral music that he plays in his really tense parts throughout the film, where bad shit yeah. is happening. The horror I think music. The, mm. I think the witch stole that sequence for Honestly, their chanting. Yeah. Sequences I mean, it is sure. very similar stuff. And yeah. uh, so, if you would have gone to see this movie. The first five minutes, you're sitting there in a total black theater, black screen, and High this music fuck. starts playing. And there's, there's no, you have no idea what is happening, and there's, there's no visual cues at all, and he just makes you sit there and deal with it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel I, like I it's. Gotta, a, I gotta wonder how many, how like many freak the weirdness. outs there were. <laughs> how do you do what? I gotta wonder how many freakouts there were in the first like five minutes of this film. Ah, oh, I mean, I'm sure you guys looked up some of the trivia and stuff too. Rock Hudson and some other big celebrities mm-hmm. walked out of the premiere, like saying, "Like, what I have, what was, what is this?" And they just oh yeah, no, out, no, I'm like, talking about people who are like, high as fuck and sitting there in the dark listening to this music, and then all of a sudden that kicks in. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. I, I, I recommend it. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, let's talk. For- why don't we talk about this first? Because I, I think, I think it's, it's hard to talk about 2001 without talking about Stanley Kubrick. It's kind of yeah. All of his movies up. are so are so him, right? Oh, it's he, the way has he, he approaches done, has he done, them. It's the way when people talk about his movies. Has he done other things? He's one of he's one of those rare auteurs, I think, that has really nailed every movie. He tackles different genres with each film. Um, all of his movies are a different genre, and this is his sci-fi movie. So. It's almost like when you're looking back, you you can't help but want to just deep dive into all the research he's did, all the years it took, his collaboration with Arthur C. Arthur C. Clarke, which was unprecedented. His Sorry for using that word. I know it, everyone on Earth it, is sick of that fucking end, word right now. Well. It no, was no, the no, first no. time this, is, this movie is as unprecedented as a film that can possibly be. Yeah. Um, 
So it's kind of hard not to talk about him when you're talking about yeah. it, but I kind of just wanted to open this up and be a little bit more obtuse with our conversation and tell, ask you guys how you feel about I think I'm glad you said it when I was like, let's just read the blurb because I think uh, I think you're getting into an important place with storytelling and maybe use that dirty word art and maybe even the, the nasty word masterpiece when you cannot describe what a movie is about or what a story is about by telling them what the plot is. So when you explain what 2001 is to someone who has never seen it before, it's yeah. like explaining what tripping is. It's like explaining what sex is. It's like explaining what something if, that has if, to be experienced. I don't know if that's a relevant example because the same could be said of Candyman. In the total opposite <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of what I kept thinking about when we were going to have this conversation. I was like, what is the... What is the main thing that we're probably going to end up talking about? As usual, we could sit here and talk about all the tech specs. He broke molds uh, with miniatures and layovers that Dave could probably talk about, and they're very interesting. And I will. Um, but you know, it's not the it's not the juice of this film because everyone can use those same tools. Technically, you know, he's got a camera and he's working with miniatures. Why did he make this movie? Why is it better than any other B sci-fi movie? that has used those same kind of techniques, just not as well or not the same way. Like, what do you think it is about this story and the way he tells it that separates it from maybe every other sci-fi movie? What is it? Dave? He did it first? <laughs> well, but he did, but, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of those B sci-fi movies, right? I mean, there's tons of those B sci-fi movies, but again, like with the visual effects, they, they did pioneer some stuff. Um, in regards to like the the models and the composites and that sort of thing. Like, like this is 1968. You don't have fucking computers. Every piece of magic you're doing on camera has to happen in camera. Yeah, yeah, it's like, so weird. They, it, it's something that we're kind of moving back towards. To be honest, with the new like volume, like live backgrounds and stuff like that. But um, in in case in the case of something as simple as a floating pen, which happens in like I one of the very how first scenes. How did he do that? Um, do you want to know how he did that? Kind of do want to know. Yeah. yeah. The pen is attached to a piece of glass that was mounted in front of the camera that was moving and rotating. And she oh plunged the pen off the God. glass. So and she, and, and yeah. so the stewardess just picks it off the glass? Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's so again, easy. it's something that's so simple, but you wouldn't think of it off off the cuff. It's like, how the fuck no. do we make a pen float in but thin air? I'm sure, I'm sure he did a lot of trial and error, too, because oh, this movie dude, took four uh, years. Fun, fun fact. Um... The uh, the designs of uh, the ships and everything were designed by like aerospace engineers. It was so detailed that NASA started referring to the studio yeah. as NASA East. Yeah, like well, when fucking astronauts there... are like Arthur making C... including you in a joke. It's like you know you've made it. So Arthur 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 C. Clarke has an aeronautics background. So mm. the, the that was the first writer of the film. Yeah, the co-script writer, uh, sci-fi novelist who got involved. Um, we'll come back to him, of course, uh, but he has the aeronautics background, so it opened some doors for Stanley, who had already, you know, he just made Dr. Strangelove, had enormous success with that, and really did tackle the subject matter that had to do with a lot of federal government decision-making in that film, and ended up being very successful. And, and Paths so, of Glory, he, had a, he already had a couple of hits, even absolutely. The Killing, Barry Lyndon, he had big, big movies. Definitely had big movies, but this was the first time uh, the government knew... So think about when this was being made, folks, if anyone mm. is following along. The Apollo missions are happening all throughout the late 50s and 60s, right? So Stanley Kubrick announces 
that he's beginning. They, they make a deal in May of 1964, Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick. They have finally decided we're definitely going to do this. We have an idea. We're going to start developing it. NASA is in the midst of the Apollo you know, series. So they know they're not stupid. Part of their mission, their PR department, is to get people ready for this next step of mankind. What's going to happen when we literally have now done it, when we have succeeded? They knew their, oh, their schedule was going to have them landing on the moon in 1969. And Stanley Kubrick was greenlit to make this movie that was going to be coming out before then. So yeah, they threw their weight behind it. The studios and them were working in tandem. You can't tell the difference when you look at uh, the making of footage. Here it comes. <laughs> Here it comes. Here comes the gush. Oh my God. I'm gush. <laughs> I don't even fucking care. I'll gush all day on this motherfucker. You can't even tell the difference when you're looking at the what if there. You can't tell if you're looking at an actual lunar module because everyone is dressed in the same protective white lab clothing in the studios, the special effects department, and NASA. It, it's crazy. There's so much good footage. Yeah, I recommend they, everybody they, go they watch it. They built like a, a, what was it, a 35-foot rotating Ferris wheel for one of the, like, the shot. It almost yeah. killed almost yeah. killed a physicist. And they strapped, and they strapped people yeah. in so it looked like they were just sitting at their desk casually yeah. and they were really going upside stunt, down. Stunt so people are hanging upside down for like half it. an hour at a time because Kubrick yeah. does like to torture his people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should definitely, I mean, we should definitely talk a little bit about what he did for film, like in space, if you will. So one yeah. of my takeaways from this, which hopefully will give our audience a little context too, is I was thinking the entire time, this came out nine years before Star Wars. Yeah, I think Star, Star Wars is the seminal space film for a lot of us. Um, now, in, I don't know if in the 70s there are any other movies that went to space. And I, I'm going to guess, I don't know, but a lot of people that walked out in 1968 didn't understand how slow things happen in space when you're talking about the moon and a ship and a docking sequence that... It, it takes fucking forever. We've seen, we've all seen Apollo 13. We've all seen Gravity. We've all seen Interstellar by this point. This came 40 years before Interstellar, where the, the, he was contacted by NASA. We saw this at the um, the Museum for Film. Museum of Moving the, Image. The, the Museum of yeah, yeah. Moving, yeah, yeah, the moving yeah, the Image. I actually there. think it was when we saw Sweetback, Sweet Sweetback, which is part of a mm-hmm. festival that we were all a part of. Um, they had letters from NASA because NASA was contacting them about their research because they were trying to come up with the idea of creating your own gravity in space, which you'll see in Interstellar with basically the spinning spaceship um, so that so that people aren't just floating in space yeah. for years, basically. Um, and so NASA was basically contacting them, being like, where did you get this research from? It, they were in contact with each other. It was so ridiculous. But watching the docking sequences, which are set to um, the famous Richard Strauss um Blue Danube, Danube, I think is yeah. what it's called, which is da 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 that, da. That's actually da, been da. referenced in one of the most popular video games ever as well. Um, there was oh, really? a, a video game, the made docking for, sequence. Yeah, there was a video game made for the BBC microcomputer called Elite, and it was then oh. ported over to other computer right. games. And every time you docked at a space station, you have to match the rotation. And if, if yeah. that music would come on, it was, it was <laughs> yeah. Yeah, music. Yeah. So I mean, just so I, I don't want to just like, get we're into talking the specifics, a, a game so old it had wireframe graphics, but yeah, right. Mm. So just in case people aren't picturing it, I, I don't want to get too specific on it, but just just to say this happened first is yes is is the rush to market. But let's just go ahead and say in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, they're flying a car in space, and that's not fucking space, and I know that, right? So the fact that in the future, I can I can look back and still say, this is just as realistic as Interstellar, which had CGI. This is just as, as realistic as First Man, 
which I saw in 3D IMAX. And this was in, done with miniatures in 1968. It was so realistic. The things in Star Wars where you see the guys, like when a ship is coming in and they're just on these platforms, kind of like staring into like the core of the space station as ships come in. And I'm like, he came up with this first because he did the math. He actually put down on paper what are the cause and effects of every single possible thing we could do? So yeah. it's just very, it's the, what I'm getting at is it's realistic. That's too. Great, 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 great. Yeah, so it's, it though. so even though, even though the story itself, it's about how, which is a computer. It's basically if Siri could come to life and control you on a spaceship. Oh even yeah. Though that's we haven't what even got to a lot of people Siri refer yet. to as the story. The reason that the, I would recommend the movie, the reason you should give it another rewatch, the reason you should give it your time is because it's so realistic that it takes you to another world, which is ultimately what yeah. you want for movies. It really is. So let, I'm going to say this now because I think that's that's the perfect thing. You commented earlier that it had a hard opening. It did not open well. Um, critically, yeah. it was even mm. mixed. Some critics fucking loved it, of yeah. course. Uh, and some were like, what the fuck? It, you know, they still just weren't. We talk about this on this pod quite a bit, but there are some genres that just cannot bust through. They cannot get through to critics in the Academy Awards Kubrick was nominated for a few. He was nominated for direction, but this movie he, was he not won. even. He, he was he nominated for, for direction. He, he won yeah. special he won effects. This movie were, was were, not even okay. nominated for best picture. There were it two, was not even considered. two nominees in 69 for best visual effects. There was 2001 and Ice Station Zebra. Can you imagine being the guys who worked on Ice Station Zebra going, hey, we got nominated for an Oscar. Who else is nominated? Oh, fuck. It's like he the, created the, gravity like in the, space uh, before like NASA. A, the zebra gum bit and family guy. Mm. Oh. <laughs> um, so I was going to say it's a, uh, it had a hard opening and Kubrick realized as it was going on, this is the late sixties, counterculture movement, hippies, LSD was huge. It started attracting a lot of young people and he caught on to that. And Kubrick, who was fucking heavily involved with every single aspect of his movies, even in the exhibition, changed the way it started being marketed. And he added a subtitle, or it's not a subtitle, a caption underneath the title for all of the posters everywhere. The ultimate trip. Mm. And it got people, especially in the younger it. demographics, to start coming. <laughs> and I mean, it is true. So like whether or not he caught on to that and used it as a marketing, oh, yeah. as a marketing tool, it, he, he had that. I mean, all of his mm. movies, I think, have that. But okay. you really do feel, for one thing, you travel across. No movie has covered this much time. I mean, this covers. Yeah, there's a... Also, there's a there's a, a thing when you're when you're studying cinema when you're being taught like cinema techniques and stuff. It's like the best cinema can communicate something without dialogue. If you can communicate it through action or inaction or in camera or something, you know your actor can communicate that without dialogue. The original screenplay for this film is only sixty five pages long. Mm. John, this looks hey. like one of your hey. screenplays. Hey. Yeah, this, this, <laughs> but this film runs for up. this film runs for 164 minutes, and 88 minutes of yeah. that is dialogue free. There is no dialogue yeah. for 88 minutes of this film. Like half the film has no dialogue, and it's so important, though, isn't it? Like I feel like the uh, all right. So when Kubrick first wrote a a letter, a telegraph, or whatever to Arthur C. Clarke, who was living in like Sri Lanka or some shit like that. <laughs> He basically said to him, I am interested in making the proverbial good sci-fi movie. It had had not been done yet. He was just, you know, geeking out real hard on sci-fi movies at the time. He knew he wanted to tackle that subject matter. And Arthur C. Clarke, when they finally started working together, Arthur C. Clarke recommended some like older, you know, sci-fi movies and B-sci-fi movies. And apparently Kubrick was quoted after seeing a couple saying, I'll never take his recommendations for film again because they're all (laughs) terrible. 
And he started, so even then he realized he knew what he was trying to do. He was trying to make, just like he does with all of his other genre films, he was trying to make, God, how does it not sound pretentious? It's not because he pulls it off, but like he was trying to make a higher elevated masterpiece artistic version of these stories. So unlike Star Wars, which is awesome, the first one did something no I think once again. I don't know that if he even thought about too. that. I think it was like if you're not gonna if you're gonna do it, fucking do it right. Fucking yeah. do it right. Even so if you're the, George even Lucas, if you're the first, don't just be the George first. George Lucas board, went right. for the uh the space opera, right? He was the, gonna go what, the, for uh, the space samurai he was gonna film. have yeah. fun. And there's a few elements that I think are really worth the samurai out. opera in space, yeah. Yeah, samurai opera in space. Uh Kubrick, again, like most of his work, was unafraid of the, 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 the terror of space. So Star, Star Wars is fun, right? Like it's constantly fun. Uh, there is not a John Williams score playing in space in 2001. It's fucking silent. Yeah. Right? So there are things, there are things like that. You can see like how he starts to There's like eight minutes elements. of breathing at one point. Just breathing. Yeah, just and the I'll, terror, I'll tell you, the, the like, there, there, like there are some secrets, like, because I'm big on the, the pacing. I've been spoiled by a lot of modern film now, and I've kind of, you know, you, you don't want to sit there for the whole fucking journey. But, like, there are some times, like, when they go out to repair the the dish on the on the ship, and, like, I got up and made yeah. a cup of tea and sat back down, and he still wasn't at the dish. So it, it's like they covered the whole leaving the ship, getting out of, floating towards the dish, like, it it, well, people, it it gives you space in real time. It does give you space in real time, which I know we've also chit-chatted about that before, just in general. Whenever we talk about movies that are that are older, you know, people used to go see movies differently. People who were adults when they were seeing this movie in 1968 grew up at a time mm. period where you would go see as a kid in the you know 30s, 40s, you would have gone and seen a newsreel, two shorts, and maybe a double yeah. feature. And, and this thing, so, you well, know, they had been no, primed to, to have a different kind of movie experience. That's why I think and, when I first saw this, the first time I saw this, I was, I was, I was shocked by the, the shamelessness of expecting you to sit still. Now, he didn't just do it and put his hands like this. I still feel like this movie is extremely compelling, even though some things mm. are, are, are slow, you know, especially with the way we compare it to nowadays. But the everything we're talking about, the way he uses the elements, it still remains extremely compelling. It still is scary. It still is suspenseful. Mm. It still keeps you going the entire time intellectually. But, I mean, which is what I think B thing, like, B sci-fi movies don't do. If you watch it on streaming, it's I mean, you lose a little bit of the effect. But if if you like in the context of when this movie was made, going to the theater was going to the theater. It was the same as going and seeing a Broadway show. There was an intermission. Yeah. The first act was 90 minutes. The second act was an hour. Like this, the, and you, you look at it, that and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang later. Like the, the first act is 90 minutes. The second after the intermission where they literally say intermission in the film is like an hour. And yeah. they, they're set up structurally. And like, so going to see these films at this time was a different experience. It's not like just something yeah. you rock up. You, you buy your popcorn, you go in, you walk out in your theater five minutes later. This was a fucking event. Yeah. I also think this is the first time... Sorry, Jeff, I want to ask you a question after this. I also think this was the first time a movie this successful and made by someone with his clout at the time very intentionally ended a film with you where, where the goal was you're not supposed to understand what happened. It, it, yeah. it was not told with, obviously it wasn't told yeah. with conventional storytelling it's, techniques, although it still uses, 
Kubrick's six sequence act hmm. kind of structure, which is in all of his films. But this one specific, I think there's a quote from Arthur C. Clarke where he says, if you understood completely, then we failed. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's, I think that says something for everybody who I mean, goes to see movies like this. And this, you know, this will open a door to a whole kind of world cinema and stuff where, where people are really able to tell these kinds of stories more often. Tell me about like something like Interstellar. What do you guys think is the difference between the way Chris Nolan feels like he has to tell stories or chooses to tell stories and what what Stanley Kubrick chose to do with this? They both use mind-bendy kind of stuff. They like playing with uh, sci-fi and technology and how it affects humans, philosophy, religion, uh, theocracy, government. But what is the difference? I feel like when you walk out of a Chris Nolan movie, do you feel like you have a little bit more grip on on what he wanted you to feel than after you finish a movie like this? Like, do you feel like if a movie like this came out nowadays, somebody like Chris Nolan could sell it? Or was this just because Stanley Kubrick was special and it was the perfect time, the space race, the counterculture? Do you think this was a time capsule? I, I mean, I, both, I think, for sure. Um, the what I, It's funny, I, I thought about Interstellar a lot. Um, not just because of the the making your own gravity that I said before, but also uh, Interstellar pulls on Carl Sagan's theories a lot, um, mm-hmm. and Kubrick has all of them in his movie. And this is be- this is before Sagan was super famous. His writings began in the '60s, but he wasn't really getting famous until '70s, and then and then um, Cosmos came out in the '80s. So this is kind of ahead of that. So like wormholes, um, which is kind of what happens in that very trippy almost final act of this film when he's near the moons of Jupiter and there's just light on both sides and he just loses all time and space. Oh, the, the iPhone and commercial? The, the yes. iPhone commercial. That's exactly right. <laughs> buzz yourself for that. We can't have a buzz for a second. You're going to make a joke like that. You got to buzz yourself. God damn it. Um, and then, yeah, so he, I think he's willing to go, I think Kubrick was willing to go a little bit deeper. I, I don't, I don't want to speak to Interstellar because I haven't seen it in a while, but it did seem like he asked a lot of questions and then the answer to all of them was love. And that's fine. It's very touching. It was, it was a very personal film to Christopher Nolan. And I love Interstellar. The score is great. It's fantastic. But ultimately, I don't really know what, what Kubrick was going for. I, I feel like he was going for so many different things. And he, in his mind, has that central thing that we are going to be dancing around forever and not necessarily knowing exactly what. I mean, that I think makes this enticing. Now it does. It is polarizing too, because sometimes you want to see a movie and you want to leave that movie and just go home and go to sleep and say that was good. Sometimes you don't want to sit there and go, "What the fuck was the point of the monkeys? Was this just to give Andy Circus a career in the future?" Like sometimes you, you know, <laughs> like what what is the final act? Like why did he see himself five different times and then he's dead and then he's a baby? Is that him? I, I don't know. Like some people don't want that yeah. in the movie. Kubrick did actually explain um, that at some point. Yeah, but so I, I think I think the fun thing about this is that he asked questions that were so big and and with instead of pulling a lost, which is you get led astray and then you don't know how to answer them, so you just sort of pull out. He he just he just doesn't give a fuck if you care or if you figure it out ever. And I think there's something ballsy about that. And he knows he was he knew he was going to lose people. I don't know. I think if Chris that's Nolan why it's so. Going to lose people. Yeah, I think that's why it's so genius. Is because if you. Here he goes with the meta comment again, but he knew this from the beginning. And you can you can read documentation of his conversations with Arthur C. Clarke. If the whole point of this, the Odyssey, like it's in the title, not to, I'm not picking on Chris Nolan. I like Interstellar, um, but, course, but I'm trying to make yeah. a comparison about what what separates big commercial cinema from gems like this and all tears like this. Um, 
if you're going to be making a movie about exploration, both of these are about exploration, how can the end of the story not come from the spirit of exploration, which is the unknown? It's that you are figuring out as you go, and you're usually just figuring out the next question. Um, Jeff and I come from a, right. a theater background, as we kind of talked about earlier, and I'm sure we will hit that hard when we get the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I remember when I first started reading Chekhov, I, I started getting the same feelings that I have when I watch my favorite auteurs that live in this world, that try to write stories that, as Chekhov says, our job is not to answer. It is only to, to bring up more questions and to, to ask them well and to explore them well. And I think that... Um, I think that this movie and all of his work is something that is is being lost right now. If I'm being totally honest, like uh, if I'm not saying we should have this all the time, I want a balanced diet. There are most nights when I don't want to watch this kind of movie. I mean, but if you don't ever allow yourself to deep dive into something like this and to really try to to go to a place where you are getting more comfortable as an audience member, being a part of a ride and having more questions that you have to deal with personally at the end of it, I think you're missing out on what storytelling can do. And I'm yeah. just, I mean, these, the, the, like, like that's not entirely a correct statement because these, these movies types of movies are still happening. It's just, they're not selling because producers don't have faith in them anymore. And it's all about the marketing dollar. Now it's like we, because we were, when we release a film, we have to recoup twice our marketing budget back and we don't make any money. So if, yeah. it, if the audience isn't going to get it, then we're not going to sell it. So it's yeah. it's become no, a victim of dollars. Well, this movie would not have been made had Stanley Kubrick at that time in his career said, I'm making a sci-fi movie. Like no one would have made this movie if somebody yeah. else wanted to make it, right? He was an independent filmmaker that got distributed by Warner Brothers. That was how he had his own company the entire time yeah. from Lolita onward. So, yeah, I don't know. It is um, risky too. You need a filmmaker who's really, because directors, especially one movie can tank your career. A lot of actors, you know, you already have your next three movies lined up or so, so it's not the same. But he did, Doctor Strange Love was very, very successful. Uh, Paths of Glory, I don't, it wasn't as much his movie as it, as it was Kurt Douglas, but, you know, he was, he could have worked again. But he basically took four years of his life for this. He, it, it could have fucked everything up for him. So that's risky for a director to take. You know, it's, it's more likely that they would have done a Ryan Gosling movie, you know, something like Damien Chazelle did. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. These were no star, no no stars movies. He didn't want any stars in this movie. Just, All right. So anyway, we, Dave, we, Dave we, what we did you think about? We're gonna wrap this up because uh, we've gone. Yeah. Like, I think this is the longest first segment we've ever had, hands down, and quite frankly, a deserving <laughs> I mean, film. Um, I will for the, for a modern audience. If you're coming in, you're gonna watch this on streaming, and you're used to really fast paced films. There is something really fun you can do. I recommend turning on the subtitles, grabbing yourself a drink, and every time music continues, turned up on the descriptive subtitles, drink. <laughs> That's good. You will be wasted. Yeah, yes. but it's simpler. Just after the, the intermission, you'll be wasted. I thought. Yeah, I have so many other notes simple. too. But yeah. yeah, I love the no, shadowing in this. I love the I love, I love some the, of the, humor. the masters of the groups. Like there's some subtle it, humor it, in there. Like the, when they stop at the the terminal and like there's Hilton signs in the background and stuff like that. There's a Hilton he, sign. He goes, yeah, Hilton Space Station. Like it, it's like the future and people still shouting on their phones. And like when he yeah. goes, he's it shows there's just a shot of him leaning near the zero-G toilet just so they can show the sign that says passengers are advised to read instructions. And this, this, I recommend uh, reading them yeah, at some point. They all, wrote yeah, all of those there's out. There's always a reason <laughs> for every sign. The, the one thing I will leave you with is um, I'm pretty sure that this movie did for Dave's what the pandemic did for Karen's. Oh, oh. yeah. 
because holy fuck, <laughs> did right. I get the, I'm sorry, I can't do I'm that, sorry, Dave. Dave. I can't do oh that. Oh, my God, that's good. <laughs> like, you, I'm reply, still I getting it. I'm like Jeff, do you have any more real fast before we go? Do you have any other standout notes? Any, any like big thing that you wanted to mention? Or this is the last um, time I might get to talk about this in a public setting. <laughs> I would say um, they invented uh, FaceTime. They literally like, you're getting a call from your wife. And the one guy was like, oh, fine, I'll fucking watch it. And the person was like, it's your birthday, yeah. birthday message from your parents. They're like, duh, yeah. just play it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. The one thing, he, he got so many things right technologically. The one thing that I think he missed overall was the idea of a personal tablet phone device that could do all of yeah. that stuff. They, Dude, had, they yeah. had access to all those I, things. I want, but nobody I want what a, a mess, Stanley. I want their immigration system. It's like voice print oh identification, yeah. please. And you're in, thanks. Yeah, no, please give me that. Yeah, no, no, yeah. the big nose. It was great. Go, go watch. It's simpler than I thought. It really was, and I think that's a good thing. Everybody, don't overcomplicate okay. things. It's simple. Yeah, you can tell the entire story of mankind with a simple six act structure. Yeah, D- definitely do it. Um, if you have not watched this movie, please sit down, take it seriously, and it's not there to entertain you. It's yeah. there to fuck you up. So Just watch it on HBO it. Max. It's there for free. Do it. Live your life. We'll see you in a second after we pee and refill after that very, very long but awesome segment. We're going to come back with Steve McQueen's Bullets right after this. And we're back. We're back. And we're back. That happened. That was fun. Real fast. <laughs> Just wanted to say, because I meant to shout it out during the segment, Jack Daniel, our uh, recent guest co-host, texted ah. us last week when he found out that we were going to be talking about 2001 to let us know that he saw 2001 for the first time as a child with his Sunday school class on a group field trip, <laughs> <laughs> which I just think is fucking awesome. Shout out to that fucking Sunday school teacher who took yeah. a bunch of fucking 10 year olds to go see 2001. That is dude, hilarious. That's, dude. It's like the it's like Dan Aykroyd in the Twilight Zone movie. It's like, you want to see something really scary? <laughs> I mean, honestly, those yeah. children. Can you imagine the look on their faces? Like, that is so yeah. funny. My church seems so less fun in comparison. Yeah, yeah I didn't have that much fun in Sunday school. Damn it. Oh, my gosh. Right. We had so much fun talking about 2001. Thank you all for hanging with us. We are now going to be talking about a film that hopefully you've at least heard of called Bullets, starring the one and only Steve McQueen with a yeah. co-starring credit by Robert Vaughn, who is a surprisingly good supporting character slash possible villain. Also, shout out to Robert Duvall, four years before mm. The Godfather has... I think just one scene, but Bobby Duvall, get your film credits going. All right. Hell yeah. Bullets. Yeah. That's Bullets. Bullet. B-U-L-L silent S-H-I-T-T. <laughs> Dave just spelled out bullshit. I don't think you love the film. We're going to go ahead and see. I'll give you the IMDB blurb about this, which is an all guts, no glory San Francisco cop becomes determined to find the underworld kingpin that killed the witness in his protection. That, of course, is Steve McQueen as the San Francisco cop. Yes. Who is, he is tasked with protecting a member of the mob community who is going to testify about the mob to Congress in, I believe, 48 hours? Or is it 20? It's, it's over the Something weekend. Something like that, yeah. And... 
the witness who is under 24 hour police protection to make sure that he can make it to the hearing because they are pretty sure that the mob is going to try to kill the person who is going to flip on them. Guess what? The person gets killed while Steve McQueen is supposed to be watching him and protecting him. And then Steve McQueen basically seeks vengeance on the mob and all of those who are protecting the, the, the killers. He wants to find the killer of who killed his witness. And you also get a little political influence in there because there is a congressperson who really wants this to go smoothly, who doesn't think Bullet is doing a very good job. So it's a very tense situation. If you're looking at it from a narrative point of view, it's really, really fun because the movie is Steve McQueen needs to protect Guy. So you think that's what the movie's about. And then about 30 to 45 minutes in, that guy gets killed. So the point of the movie gets flipped on its head and it now becomes who killed the witness. So I think they do a really cool job with the narrative element of that. Um, another thing to, to consider, this movie is considered a stylish mystery thriller. It's not a noir anymore. It has moved past that. We are now in the independent post-Bonnie and Clyde world. So it is very interesting. And you have Steve McQueen, who is more or less a heartthrob, trying to play against that as his like tough guy, like Bradley Cooper wants to win an Oscar, mob guy thing going on. Also, he is so badass that he thinks he can park his Mustang fastback in front of fire hydrants. I don't know if you noticed that, but fuck this guy for not obeying fire laws. He parks this car right in front of fire hydrants. Does. I guess that's the only place where a space is available. Anyway, the Mustang fastback is actually the star of the movie. But first impressions from our stylish mystery non-noir thriller, John or Dave, who would like to get us going? All right. Um, I, I will say straight up front, there's some great cinematography tricks in this. They're subtle, but they're there. Yes. Like, there's like the the reflection on the light at the beginning where they're, mm-hmm. they're showing the action. It pans out and it's actually a light in the room. Um, yeah, the whole the opening road, sequence The rotating awesome. door shot, awesome. that sort of thing. Uh, cinematographer William A. Fraker, who um, went on to shoot War Games in the 80s. <laughs> hey. And Matthew the Broderick. now infamous 1941. not treat his waiters with respect. Something to remember about Matthew Broderick. Yes, he also, he also chicken he, fucking soup, Matthew Broderick. Chicken soups <laughs> come from scratch sometimes. They take he, 10 minutes. He, Give he them also, a break. Okay, I feel like we missed the point. He also shot the 1941, the movie. No. Oh, no. God. Yeah. Come on. Uh, buzz him. Buzz him. Look, Some parts look kind okay. of fun, I guess. So this, this film won for best editing. Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like they could have taken another 40 minutes out of it. It also... Yeah, I think... Why do you think it won Best Editing? Do you think it's the chase scene? I mean, no, it's... Yeah, well, it's the two, there's yeah, two chase yeah. scenes. Really it it won Best Editing. It was nominated for uh, Best Sound, which is otherwise known as the Your Best Picture campaign was a good enough Oscar. Ouch, ouch. Oh, come on. <laughs> there have been some great sound awards. True. Come on. Like Dark Knight, a lot of war movies. Right. Yeah, yeah, there have been some great I war movies. I will say, though, Robert Vaughn eats up his time on screen. He's phenomenal. I really yeah. enjoyed him as, like, the, the villain, like, the sort of the villain. He's the antagonist, not so much the villain, but the antagonist yeah. in this movie. Um, he was the congressman. Movie, he was the congressman that really yeah, wanted this to movie didn't really start for me until that 35 minutes in. Everything before that just really fucking dragged. <laughs> but, yeah. I know you I mean, mean, but the opening, that. wait, but so I think they thought the opening sequence, which was entirely in the dark, 
for the most part. I thought they, I think they thought that would hook you. So what you're saying that it wasn't enough to carry you through 30 minutes Dude, of there, exposition. There are so many things saying? that there's so many things that happen in this movie that make you go, well, what was that? And the answer just takes too long getting there. You're left confused. Like it bugged yeah. me for almost a fucking hour. Why that guy took the chain off the door. Oh yeah. And but I think it's did, supposed to and, though. And, and, I, and, I, I mean, that. at the, at the end when they're in the airport, how did that gun get through the metal detector? I don't like, know if metal detectors like, were the a, same way in 1968. A, no, they detected fucking metal, dude. A gun is made of metal. It's like it's a giant lump of metal in your fucking carry-on. Like seriously though, like if they cut all the driving scenes, not counting the car chase, this movie would, would have been an hour twenty. Like it had more shots of cars than the fucking movie cars. <laughs> <laughs> the, really that that sequence is, was wild. But the, I don't know. They, I think they wanted to go bang, bang gives it a run for its money in car coverage. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like he spent like it's like let's get in a car and drive around and go to a phone. Let's get in a taxi and drive around and go to this right. place. But we're not actually doing anything. We're to get in a car and go somewhere else. And like, yeah, it, I mean, there's, there's just so well, much. It, it reminded me of Star Wars Episode One. There's like two hours of meandering stilted exposition with a fucking car chase crammed in the middle. <laughs> We right. just came from, you know, we just came from, I'm not going to agree with you 100%, but I do, I do appreciate the sentiment. We just came from a conversation where we were talking about a movie that is intentionally slow, but there is stuff that is, you know, experienced and it holds your attention over long yeah. sequences and slower shots and everything like that. Um, there's a sequence in the middle of this movie where, where he decides, all right, you take the first watch. They all get their witness protection or not witness protection, but um, yeah, witness protection. And they, and they decide what order they're going to protect him in. And McQueen's like, you take the first one. I'm going to go home. I'll be back here in the morning. And it follows him home. And, and nothing happens. And he goes home. <laughs> and he, he, has, he, you know, he like goes home and he drinks a little bit. And he wakes up the next day and has a little breakfast with his girl. And then he comes back. And he, or he gets a call that he needs to come there. And I mean, you're... This is me too. You know, I love this kind of shit. If it's done well, like I don't mind atmospheric storytelling at all, but I did, there were a few scenes in this few sequences where I was like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why that's in this movie. But overall, I will say that, that again, I had to kind of put on my time capsule helmet because mm. there is a lot of like sixties funk music that is just in this movie, whether you, whether it makes sense or not, it kind of dominates the tone and steers yeah. it in a certain direction. I personally think that opening sequence would work way better in silence or with a much more minimalistic score. I think it would have. I think it was a little more confusing than it needed to be mm. because I mean, let's, let's of just the way that the music was was pushing you into a certain tone. And I wanted to discover the movie, and it was telling me how I should feel about it. I'm not quite sure that music lined up with how I felt about what they were showing me with the exposition. Yeah, you know I, what I mean? I mean? They weren't tolling the line at the beginning as much. However, at 20, 30 minutes into it, I, I was in this movie. Yeah, McQueen say, is one of my favorite actors drags. from the 60s. I fucking love this guy. I've loved him since I was a kid. Him and Charles Bronson, I thought they were just so fucking cool. Uh, I was just reading a little trivia about him, Jeff. 1955. There were like a thousand people that auditioned for the actor's studio and McQueen and Martin Landau got in. They only let in like five people and McQueen Shit. and Martin Landau were two of the dudes that Strasberg let in. And I think you can see it. Uh, yes, he is cool. Yes, he's got a type, but that guy is grounded 
to pieces. I, mean, I don't. I, don't, mm-hmm. yeah, I believed every single fucking breath he yeah. took on screen. I just uh, don't it, think they gave him a lot to work with. I, I know what you mean, but that was. Don't you feel like that was the kind of the style of certainly this film, but th- be... this style of film for that period? That was kind of what it was I like. Mean, dude, I'm gonna like... Kick, wait. I'm gonna kick this back to Dave. Uh, I, I'm gonna go with more of the same here. So you may know more about noirs than me. I, I was in City of Angels once, which I guess I had to watch a bunch. But I'm not like I'm not gonna pretend like I know a lot about noir. But it does seem like this movie saw. I, I, I know I said Bonnie and Clyde in the intro, but Bonnie and Clyde was violent. It was it was pretty it was pretty stark and pretty violent. Um, they showed a lot of blood. This movie, for instance, they just showed like somebody got shot in the knee and the leg, and they just showed the wound. And like I, I bet you in 1968, they didn't show a lot of really bloody, like gross wounds like that. Do you think that they basically just wanted to take what you thought of a noir, which is you know very dark, very mysterious? We probably we had a potential femme fatale in here. Um, so you had a lot of the tropes of that sequence, very heavy, like, oh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going down the streets and I'm here in these streets and I, I'm looking for the man, but without any voiceover. They took all the voiceover out, they made it bloodier. So it's almost like they, they, they just threw this more violent, new, independent idea at what your expectations were from those 50s thrillers. What, what do you think about that kind of theory, Dave? No, I, I mean... If you're gonna make noir, make noir. If you if you're gonna try and do something else, sure, try and do something else. But this literally have, spent a lot of time in a car. Have you ever seen The French Connection? Yes. I think th- I kept thinking about French Connection when I was watching this, and I remember thinking, "Why does French Connection hit the fucking bullseye? And what w- what is what is this?" I enjoyed this movie. I am not saying negative things about this movie. I think they, what is it? it has like a 7.4 rating on IMDb. Yeah, sure. I feel like it sits around a seven for me. I enjoyed myself, but I remember thinking I wasn't like the whole time there was, there were, there were very few sequences and moments where I was like, fuck yes. I understand why everybody loves this movie. I understand why it's gone down in the history books outside of McQueen. Yeah, um, I, 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 I think I McQueen like, is awesome, and I thought um, who else did you say? Like, Robert Vaughn. I thought he did a good job, but yeah, I thought like French Connection had a point. <laughs> French Connection had a point. Like every scene advanced the plot in some way. There wasn't superfluous scenes, and there was still. It was very similar too, where there's a lot of silence in the French Connection, and there's a lot of atmospheric mm. stuff and and very actory, character driven kind of storytelling. Now, I'm not yeah. picking on Peter Yates, the director, or anybody else. This was the precipice for, as Jeff kind of set up at the beginning of this episode, film was changing around mm-hmm. this time and they yeah. were letting actors drive stories in different ways than they had before. Hitch, this is not a Hitchcock movie, right? This is not a suspense. This is not a John Houston noir. Yeah. This is something else. But I feel like this was, um, this was the, uh, this was kind of like an opening act to things that got much more interesting in the 70s. That started know, playing like, out this crime you, thriller genre. You, you with, made a film how, do, that, how do you use tones of noir? Yeah, you and made make a film it that work inspired in this new other things. Place? Like it, it's like, I mean, even like when you get to the point, the end of this movie, the big climax of the movie, it has the excitement equivalent of taxiing to the terminal at LAX. It's I wrote it's just fucking boring. I wrote, I wrote down. I, yeah. I wrote down that um, Die Hard made the terminal like the the let's run out on the airport sequence. Die Hard 2 made the airport terminal sequence more fun than this. Although it was really fun in the dark, 
I was like, man, this wishes it was North by Northwest meets Die Hard 2. And it didn't quite yeah. get there. But, I mean, you know, it was, I, it was interesting. I was left, I mean, really, I was left wondering, did Clint Eastwood do it better? Because Dirty Harry came out around, like, just after this. Uh, and, like, sure, it might have inspired it. But, like, they really, really did it better. Honestly. That's what I'm saying. I feel like this was the... Go for it, Jeff. Do, I'm done. You, Keep going. No, you no, sure? fuck it. I've, sorry, already, I've already made the point. <laughs> what about the hospital sequence where... I'm so sorry. I just, I just ate like a, a sweetie and I didn't know that it was going to make noise. What about the hospital sequence? It was very Godfather. You know, in the Godfather where Michael has to guard the witness, he yeah. has to like stay there in the hospital overnight. It was kind of like that at first. And then, uh, yes, you're right, Dave. It took way too long. It was like 12 minutes of them chasing this guy through the stairs. You didn't even know who he was. Mm. It turns out, everybody, they were using a doppelganger, not to spoil too much, but that was pretty interesting. So it wasn't actually the witness um, who died, not to spoil it. This is so weird that you will, you'll forget about it as soon as you start the movie. Don't worry about it. But anyway, there's like this weird hospital chase sequence in the dark where he's supposed to be protecting the witness, but the guy's lost in the hospital. That I thought it came across really well, almost like what if Michael Corleone actually had a mob interaction Dude, chasing that, through the hospital? What do you think? That sequence was great. And it was 15 minutes in yeah. a two-hour movie. Like... Right. So you, so it's almost like they should have earned those 15-minute sequences rather than make every single thing in this movie a 15-minute sequence like that. Yeah, and some of those 15-minute yeah, sequences had no point whatsoever. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I feel like this movie is a is a good example of this uh, this new Hollywood thing that was happening around this time. Again, I, I it's hard to judge them because like we're looking back now. This was all brand new when they were trying it. So... Some of the some of the films worked better than others. We, we talked about how fucking Francis Ford Coppola made a movie this year that did not do well. And granted, it was a musical. It was not a noir mobster movie or a murder mystery. But there were these younger directors who were saying, you know what? We're going to try to drive storytelling in this in cinema completely differently. We're not going to rely on style. We're not going uh, to rely on style or these gigantic um, set pieces inside production uh, studios. We're going to go on location. And we're going to follow actors around. And I think they were finding their footing. And for anyone who, who loves film history, I think everyone would agree with me that there are some gems in the late 60s where the new Hollywood really starts popping. But they start owning it in the 70s. That's when you yeah. can see them all figuring it out. So yeah. if, if you are I mean, to look I at can, in terms of film appreciation, if you look at this as a stepping stone, it's very important. I don't. I know the I, thing. That, the it, thing that bugs but, me is like this won the Oscar for best editing. But if you watch the chase scene, the car he's chasing loses six hubcaps. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know why it should have lost best editing? So this this car, a Mustang Fastback, nineteen sixty eight, which is actually uh, C. McQueen's own personal car, or at least he bought it yeah. from the movie. It sold at auction January 10th, 2020. So this year, somehow before COVID-19, it's almost like they knew we need to get this done quick. <laughs> it sold at auction for $3.7 million, including auction fees. $3.7 million, 2020. And it was having a chase sequence with a Dodge Charger. Mm. The Mustang Fastback was, was being chased by a Dodge Charger. I think they... um. I think I fucked that one up because I, uh, I, I think, I think the Mustang wins every time. Even though I know must, yeah. most Mustangs are driven by tall white guys with small penises, I still think the Mustang oh. wins every time. <laughs> <laughs> the 
That's true. That's a true statement. I'm going to. I mean, later on, just angry. They don't own a Mustang, but yeah. Um, all right. What anything think, else? We so I know to, we've, yeah. Well, I, I kind of want to ask uh, specifically. It sounds like you had a frustrating watch, Dave. Jeff, yeah. It sounds like you were kind of intermittent. How did you guys feel yeah. about the ending? The final punctuation on the way you were supposed to feel about this film, story, uh, tone, everything. Like, what did you think about the literally the last shot of him going home after it's been solved? Day in the life, or a couple days in the life of this lieutenant. What did you think? I wish he played the saxophone like the conversation. You know where he walks up to his apartment and just starts fucking playing sax? <laughs> Gene uh, Hackman. And just destroys his apartment. I think, to be honest, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in here, but I think they, they the girlfriend character in this who has a, a nice scene actually holds the movie back. I don't think they need it. This movie is going to fail the Bechdel test. No, I know. Yeah, I, but the I movie the movie was going to fail the Bechdel test anyway. And so out of nowhere, like two hours <laughs> yes. in, she was like, all you care about is your work and your work is so dirty. And it's like, we are so close to solving this movie. I'm so sorry, but like, this is not the time. And then at the end, he goes home and she decided to stay. And yeah. I didn't care about that at all. I so don't, it's, yeah, was, I, I don't think I've ever unbuzzed anyone, but Jeff, you're unbuzzed. You know what? It's not her fault. But for yeah, me, let's talk about that really quickly. For me, seeing her that she hadn't no left does nothing whatsoever. to the rest of the story. That's what I was going to say. Had no significance whatsoever for me. I, by this point, I was out. Yeah, See, they and that need, was they one of those moments that, that was one of those. Now we're getting technical, but like, and maybe they thought about this in the editing room, but it doesn't look like they covered it at all. I thought that was a missed opportunity. There's this scene we're talking about, folks, where she sees a dead body at a crime scene that he is investigating, yeah. and it really upsets her. And she has this moment where she confronts him and says, you see, how are you okay? How are you not desensitized to life? How can you keep living normally and see this all the time? And they cover him the entire scene, literally the back of her head the entire time. So clearly they want yeah. us to hang on his point of view. I thought they missed an opportunity for us to get a little, to, to earn a little mystery by finally empathizing with somebody other than him. I thought it was actually going to raise the stakes if we would yeah, have seen right. what she was going through because they were clearly trying to write a woman that was in his life that was trying to poke some holes in his, you know, kind of calloused police lieutenant perspective. And he's not a villain. It was just that's I think I thought it would have made it even more interesting because he is such a nice man. He's very kind. He's very respectful to everyone he comes in contact with in this movie. Everyone. And I thought it was a missed opportunity. And then at the very end, yeah, he basically comes home and goes back to her. And did you feel like anything was changed at all? Did you feel like anything happened to him by the end of it? I, I, I checked I out by what that point, do? to be honest. Oh. <clears throat> you know, well, it was just I a think... slice of life kind of feel for you, Dave? Mm -hmm. I yeah. think I do, because he, he got yeah. played. I mean, he did get played, but he got played an hour before the ending. So it was more like he was. we were finally getting his... Not comeuppance. We were finally getting his... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like he's redemption, finally, he can find not even redemption. Like just kind of like, what is it when, when you break up with someone and then a, a year later you have a dinner closure? with them and it's like, closure? yes, he finally got his closure. It's almost what yeah. it seemed like. Yeah. Um, it it didn't even is? seem like a redemptive moment. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That, that's what I, I liked, that, sort of I like liked me, that last moment. It th That last moment didn't bother me. I just remember thinking I, as much as I appreciate how this movie is ending, I wish the scene with her, the conflict scene, had done something different because it would have made this moment so much more powerful. I think mm. it would have made this entire movie uh, land differently had I feel, you know, stronger about the fact that he was coming home with that kind of closure on like, wow, I just yeah. got fucked. I just got I fucked also, hard. 
I was also bummed because the only available parking space was in front of a fire hydrant. So he walks up into the apartment to see her. And all I was thinking was, okay, she's there. Now go and move your car. Like you can park around the corner. Okay. Like this is, what if there's a fire? Just leave your hands on. I'm also going to say, uh, anyone who's listening, this is my pitch. How is Bullet not a series yet? There, how is this not a series, dude? This guy, this is a great yeah, character. We should make a female, cool. anyone. I don't yeah. give a fuck. Some five, police lieutenant. Five seasons of someone driving around in a fucking car. Yeah, I know, and but he's some... like a he's a good cop. He's like a really he's actually a good person. Like it's kind right. of a rare cop character. I respected the fact yeah. that they did something. It was I not mean, a cliche maybe, cop. It was a unique police maybe, officer. Maybe maybe let it be. I don't I, like maybe only yeah. he could do it. Maybe let it be. There were some. There were some really. David, no, there. There were some really. There were some really cool shots. I, I. It's not often you hold a master and then people leave the frame and then different people walk into it. I know that's hyper specific, but they did that in the hospital at one point where somebody said yeah. oh, the patient is is in he's in cardiac arrest and then everybody leaves the frame and then other people run in with a stretcher and then doctors run and then cops and they hold the frame. You just don't see stuff like that. So where I that appreciate that. I don't know. Letting if, them inside. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. and then you have like other detectives and people. It, it was they do some really interesting things. So I, I don't think it was a bad movie. Sorry, Dave, but 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 no, I, I understand how four I, years later, like, I didn't directors like took the note basically. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Still probably I'm, worth watching, especially if you're a cinephile, just so you I can mean, see what happened. Yeah, do not historically. Base, do not base your opinion on mine. I didn't enjoy it. You might. A lot yeah, of people, I'm sure, shot. did. So by all means, have a look at it. Steve McQueen, one of the six pallbearers at Bruce Lee's funeral. Give it up. That guy was in a good I mean, crowd. if that's not a reason to watch the movie, what is? He I apologize to anybody, young, who, by the way. anybody who's ever driven a Mustang. I apologize. I love Ford versus Ferrari. All right, we will be back in a second. But first, <laughs> we need to announce our year oh, for next year. Dave, you, you got this uh, queued up, ready to go? Brace yourself. All right, next week, we will be doing films from the film year. Da, 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 da. 1997. Oh my god, are oh, we man. gonna do Titanic? <laughs> no, god damn it. Oh, oh, yeah, we're gonna oh, I know what I'm voting for. We're gonna have a right, we'll, we'll see you right in a second. We're gonna Can't wait about yeah. that. We're gonna come right back. Bye <laughs> right, bye. We are back. Brace Jesus. yourselves. We are going to announce the three films. Oh, Jesus, John, you okay? We are going to be announcing the three John, films. A little, little bit of intestine hanging out. <laughs> for our next episode. Two of them are available to stream. So go ahead and, and stay tuned to the end of this podcast so yes. that you could watch with us and be prepared for our next episode. The other one you want to rent. But first, we need mm-hmm. to do our redemption episode. Or was it really that bad? Or. Was it good? I just only saw it when I was five. I forget yes. the new name. Was it only yeah, good because I was five? This is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> you guys know Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because the song has been made fun of by many people, including Family Guy. Um, it's actually a pretty good oh, song. Here's Family what I would... Guy's come out swinging with a couple of songs. <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead and say what Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is about, if you haven't seen it in a while, is it's Mary Poppins, but if Mary Poppins was a car... No, it's Mary Poppins, but if Mary Poppins said no and they cast someone else. That's it. well, no, you know who they cast? <laughs> they cast Julie Buzz. Andrews. They cast 
They ca- Julie Andrews did say no, anyway. and they cast her replacement from My Fair Lady on Broadway. That is a I mean, true story. This girl looks just it's like Mary Julie, Julie Andrews. Anyway, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is uh, the name of a, of a car, I think. Um, it the is. movie opens. It's a musical. The movie opens really, really fun. If I'm honest with you, it was like Ford versus Ferrari, but in 1968, it was really cool. So it opens with all these Grand Prix footage I, i'm guessing it was all made for this movie this movie lost Again, a lot in of money the dark. yes it was like 2001 right the like, silence and the yeah, car noises i like... was creeped out there was a lot of car noises at first and i was like what the fuck the happened to my, my visual so they go to like uh, i don't know let's just say uh france 1906 grand prix and then they show all these little cars racing uh germany from 1907 grand prix britain 1908 grand prix so there's all these car chase sequences and then the movie opens, and it turns out that Dick Van Dyke is basically Belle's father from Beauty and the Beast. He's this crazy, wacky inventor with two kids that just run around <laughs> and almost die All every right. day. Sorry, sorry, I'm going to stop you for a second. Can we, can we point out this was written by Ian Fleming, the same Wait, guy that wrote the, James Bond. Wait, hold on a second. It and wasn't it was just written. by Broccoli. Yeah. 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 Wait, you guys saw who adapted the screenplay, though, right? Yeah, Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. A fucking of Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, of the course. BFG. And you can tell exactly when his work fucking kicks in. I can tell you that. <laughs> he, was the, he was not the original screenwriter. Oh, wait, hold on. Come on, we got to set this up for people. We've got to set this up. We've got to set this up for people. So these children, we don't know they're Dick Van Dyke's children yet. They love playing around this old car shop or this old shop. I'm still not sure. Or I, honestly, I don't know what children. the fuck is going on. <laughs> they're, they're playing around at this shop and they really like this car and the car gets sold for scraps or whatever and the kids go home to their dad who it turns out to be as dick van dyke to tell him that oh you have to buy our car which is really expensive so that we can play in the car because they skip yeah, school so, they so they're, they're school like cutters. kids today basically yeah exactly yeah. and on the way home um they're running in the road because they're little nincompoop kids and a woman um right who's in a very nincompoop? very she's in a very very nice dress <laughs> she rides her car into a swamp which by the way i don't know what she was complaining about because that backed out of the swamp really really well so anyway she, she was complaining that the kids were in the way and they weren't in school and so she <laughs> insists on seeing their father and they fall in love over the course of two hours and 25 minutes the longest not movie musical that uh, that's I've ever not seen. A, that's not movie time either that is oh uh God. that's real time i saw that in dog years <laughs> anyway i was like this is yeah anyway I mean, okay look the, like the movie's fun anyway first impressions go ahead I love the set design. Like I love the, you can Uh-oh. see the, you can Uh-oh. see the, lo- about the technical elements. <laughs> you can see the love that went into this production design, and like you, they like they don't make sets like that anymore. Fuck you, John. They don't. And, they don't. You're right. Yeah. It was fucking amazing. I it know. was like every single place they went that wasn't an established location was like built with yeah, love. Cool. And I, yeah. I no, no, like... not with love. This was with non-union labor, Dave. This was not built with love. That's the <laughs> only way they made this fair. movie for ten million dollars. <laughs> no, okay, no, they, but, but also like they destroyed the, the seventy-five is, can... cars before this movie started. Okay, this was not with love, <laughs> dude. I've ridden in one of these cars. I rode in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang when I was a kid. Do you know like, who owns I, I, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Do you know who owns I, it now? Do you know who Peter, owns it? Peter now? Jackson owns it. One of them now. Unbelievable. But yeah, like a guy uh, about ten miles outside my hometown of Wingham, New South Wales, Australia. Um, owned one of these and took me for a ride in it when I was a kid. It was it was amazing. It was great. I'd I'd seen the movie and there's the fucking car and I'm I'm going wow. for a ride. And it was magical. Did and you notice how long the movie was when you were a child and you saw this movie? I did not. 
I didn't notice how long the movie was when I was a child. Because when you're a child, let's face it, time has different meaning. No meaning, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I love the set design. And, like, I'm appreciating this as an adult who's seen the movie as a kid. And also, I'm sorry, Dick Van Dyke, man. Does that man not ever make a fantastic entrance? Yeah, his entrances he's are just, awesome. He's he, he, and also, also, he has this, like, unique ability to overact but make it completely natural. And sorry, I got Pipe in here for a second. I saw an Instagram video the other day, and it was Dick Van Dyke today. And this woman was like twerking around him. And he's so ancient. And he was just sitting there, like oh, watching yeah. her with that smile on his face. He was just like digging it. Thanks, John. That's a great, that's a great input. Going. Back to it. you, Dave. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm just like, he is. And it, it was funny because I was like, what, what is it about him? And my wife put her finger on the, right on the button. It was like, he's a joyful, joyful performer. He loves to perform. I mean, dude, he is a true song and dance man. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, we don't use that term much anymore. Hugh Jackman might be the last one alive. But like, <laughs> right? Dick Van Dyke comes from like a different period, dude. That, that vaudeville period. He cut his teeth watching Gene yeah. Kelly come up and no, stuff. Like, he's Buster a different Keaton. kind of actor. He, he loved I'll Buster tell you what, Buster though, this, yeah. this, this start, like, ironically, given the three movies we've covered tonight, this movie starts in complete black yeah. with just the sound of revving engines. And I, was, I had flashbacks to both 2001 and Bullet, which I'd yeah, seen Yeah, me before. too. Me too. I was like, fuck, did I... Yeah. You know what's so what's funny about this movie is I don't know what you guys remember of it other than the songs, which by the way, I don't know if you remember this, but the song Chitty Chitty Bang Bang drops a fucking beat before it starts. I was listening and it was basically like the yeah. engine revving turned into a beat. And it was like Well, no, the the name Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I literally was is, like, what is based this on the fucking na- beat that is getting it's dropped? It's based on the name sh- of the cars. They they were Chitty Bang Bang. It was That's fucking what they were hot. Yeah, but it was in time. It was good. Yeah. That was good shit. Anyway, um, they also sang the song 17 times throughout the course of the movie. Um, Too many the same times. Song, the same Jesus song. You can't, it's still not a reprise. Good song. Okay, okay. They sang okay, it 17 okay, okay. times during the movie, but still less than they used Live and Let Die during that Bond film. True. <laughs> True. Uh, if, our True. Bar, if our bar is Live and Let Die, we're yeah. in a dangerous position. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let's get back. Shout out to our, our fans that listen to our Live and Let Die segment. Anyway, I literally, like, I, I didn't have it written, but I took some notes because I thought I was about to give an impassioned speech about how John, I know you and I both agree. We have, we have, we are not ashamed to say we have bachelors of fine arts degrees in musical oh. theater, uh, music oh, yeah. theater to be specific, but we are also both very hard on movie musicals, which is not customary in our age group. So especially in these older films, I'm very hard on, on movie musicals in these whole things. Honestly, American in Paris just released it as a dance. Like seriously, that dance sequence is the whole movie. We don't need anything else. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Sure I mean, I, so I don't have a BFA. I've just toured like you know twenty something musicals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Dave is a lot of work in music. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure tripping it. But all I'm saying is, I was ready to give because Dave, what you said about Dick Van Dyke, where it's like he's yeah. so crazy, but it works. It's still real. That like, you have to do that in musical. I literally was about to give an impassioned speech mm. about how what, what movie musicals do wrong every single time is they try to preach realism on the screen. Nobody in real life sings. Oh. So it's like the one thing we know about musicals is they sing their thoughts. And the one thing we know about realism is that people don't sing their thoughts. So that contradicts itself 100% of the time. And movie musicals fall into it every single time. And the ones that don't, Wizard of Oz, is not in realism. Uh, the sound of music is sort of in realism, but it's also in this heightened ethereal. There's more going on than just real life. There's like more going on. So it's like the perfect blend of that. 
But like, don't even get me started on other movie musicals that try to figure this out. Chicago is the best contemporary example. Absolutely. Because it's because it's shows within shows. They're never. They're, she's always performing her thoughts. Mm. She's not that just singing them the in stage real life. Show for me. It's amazing. Cabaret gets away with it too. It does the same thing. Even West Side Story. It's it's on a stage. I like mean, even though I, they're pretending think... to be in the Upper West Side, it's on a stage. This movie well, starts out and there's an overture, but not an opening number because the movie is about the kids and the car it's not about the singing and the dancing like Grease 2 where they just open with a number because they're a musical and you're oh, like what the fuck do not man? bring that exactly thing up. yeah Sorry. and so his first song when he gets to when he finally sings it's like he earned it and then somewhere about halfway through every 10 seconds there's a new fucking song in this movie and all of a sudden it becomes 17 hours long and you're like get me out of here because it's like we didn't I, I know that the songs are I know that the songs are great selling points for everybody, but you have to care about the story. I can't imagine rewatching this movie. And there was some really good stuff in here that kept me really entertained. And I, I hope I never see it again. That's my speech. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell I you mean, what, I, like did. for me, this movie has what so many films these days are missing. And it's just a big old fucking heart. Yeah. Like it just, you can feel the heart in this movie. It granted in the middle, it kind of takes a dive and then you come back towards the end. But like, it's just fun to watch. It's fun to rewatch. I, like, I watched, I saw this in the cinema when it came out. I was like five. Right. I'm not kidding. That's why we, we renamed the segment. But uh, <laughs> I, um, I watched it again. It was like I was almost five again. It's and true. I really I sat back and I enjoyed really it. And it, it has all these, so many really good messages. Like, you know, yeah. it's okay to fail and try again and stuff like that. And it's okay to... Uh, Dave, okay. oh my God, the, I see <laughs> the gush. It's okay to fail and try again? Yeah, it's Dave okay to fail and try movie, again. I'm pretty sure I've seen every single one. Like, no, but like Disney doesn't do that. Okay, shut up. All right. <laughs> but yeah. Disney, like, that's, I mean, that's it, all they do. They, <laughs> the inventor let's say yeah the inventor trope like disney owns that right yeah that's their trope <laughs> they, they they invented the inventor trope i kept thinking the same thing the whole time i was watching this i kept thinking two things that i wanted to ask you guys first i remember saying to myself i would love to watch this with with my kids if i ever had children yes. yeah <laughs> i yeah. think it's really inventive i had a lot of fun i laughed a lot of the comedy that i laughed at is my favorite kind of comedy that oh, I I appreciated it. I wrote down one that I know you're going to like. We'll talk about it later. I wrote down one that I know you're <laughs> really like that. physical, ridiculous, you know, just over the top, stupid stuff, you know, just like really physical comedy. I have and to, the I have second to thing ask. I was thinking was, I'm oh. not sure what's a bigger acid trip, 2001 or Chitty Chitty Bang Bang <laughs> Team. Yeah. This was I can't even buzz that. insane, dude. You this could, was insane. You I could zone out for two minutes okay. and all of a sudden they're in Bulgaria. And Anytime, you can sit there and go, when did we get here? And I don't know the answer. I don't anytime know. You invoke, part, yeah, anytime you favorite, invoke Roald Dahl, we don't on. know where the acid trip starts. Like, yeah, Dave. My, I think my favorite part <laughs> is when, with no previous justification, the, the car has taken off. They have fallen off a cliff. First of all, how different would this movie be if they plummeted to their fucking deaths at the end of Act 1? I'd be a lot fucking shorter, that's for sure. Two, the car takes off. And it's flying. And you're like, okay, this is what I came to see this movie for. This car's finally fucking flying. It only took a whole act to get there. And then it's in the middle of the night. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's in the middle of the night. Kids are asleep. She looks at him and she says, do you know where we are? 
He says, for no no previous justification, this has not happened at yeah, all. No. There's been no hint of this. He says, you know what? I don't, but I think we're in pretty good hands. I think Chitty knows where to <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they haven't even Dude. hinted at the fact that this car has a mind of its own. Yeah, this is not Kirby fully loaded. This is, this is not Thomas the Tank Engine or Daniel Tiger. All of a sudden, they he's like, Chitty knows where to go. Like, I just I just bought a Volkswagen Tiguan. If I went off a cliff and flew, I would not sit there and go, I knew it. I knew I mean, it. Oh Why the God. fuck would you I drive off a cliff to begin dude. with? Oh my, my favorite God. piece of trivia on this movie, I'm looking at some IMDb trivia, sure. is that Dick Van Dyke was smoking 40 cigarettes a day and yeah. struggled with some of the dance numbers. Yeah, no oh. shit. They, did that they have the, no idea? Okay, no, that was the Me Old Bamboo number, which you the may ba- I know you could tell, you, dude. You may recognize from uh, Family Guy, which did a parody yeah. called A Bag of Weed. Uh-huh. Bag of Weed and a bag, a of, weed, bag yeah. of weed and a bag of weed. Yeah. Shapoopies from Music Man. Yeah, Shapoopies yeah, right, from right, Music right. Man, yeah. Um, they do, they do but, yeah, I'll, but I'll tell you what though, like Dick Van Dyke, at that point he'd been diagnosed with arthritis through his body. Yeah. If I tried to dance like that, my testicles would be around my ears. I mean, it was incredible, yeah. dude. Like, only a master like, could do that. And it, his raggedy. Like, I Andy would cause myself toy, some serious fucking damage. His toy performance at the end was was great. He's still he, yeah, fucking he's the only one Dick that could be that toy if you want to throw and down, also look like he can dude, drink with Sinatra. You know what I mean? Dude, like, he's well, the only I mean, he was he was off. in the middle of alcoholism during this movie, but like seriously, like yeah, even around like, kids Mary, and the director Mary, kept cursing at yeah, the kids and he kept telling Mary, the director. Stuff. Mary Poppins returns. He's still busting out a fucking move, and the guy apparently is riddled so what with do we, arthritis. Like, he's, what do we think? He's magical. He is magic. He is. What do you think? Uh, I, for one, I respect his choice to not even attempt an English accent this time. Because so, it was yeah. in his contract that he said, "I will accept this as long as I don't have to do an English accent." Hey, shout out to James Mary Bond. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. So I respect that. But uh, let's start. All right, so let's get real here for a second. Let's try to redeem this. Sherman and Sherman, the brothers who worked at Disney for they a lot of their Mary, career, they wrote, wrote Mary, Mary Poppins, Poppins in the Jungle Book. This. This did not work for me, if I'm being totally honest with you. This, uh, I agree with you, Jeff. Yeah, fuck it. Some, some things it. did. I had fun at some parts, but... You know. There were some moments that good... I don't even think there was an entire song that really worked for me. There was a whole lot of... As I said to Jeff last week, we were talking about catching up on Grease too. Whenever musicals get into that place of we're here and we're singing, and isn't that enough? It just makes me uncomfortable. The answer is like, no. M- yeah, 80% of singing. the numbers in this musical were only sung because it was a musical. And I still had, even within those not great songs, I still laughed a decent amount. Yeah. There were still some really <laughs> funny performances. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like it took away from it. Uh, it was it was almost a shame because I thought Raul Dahl's adaptation was was awesome. Um, Apparently that was yeah, re- I don't know. rewritten. But yeah. Wait, say that again, Dave? You, you really what? Apparently that was rewritten. By the director. Uh, he, he claims that he rewrote, rewrote the entire script. The entire script, yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody, it's probably Lionel Jeffries, the guy who wrote the book. Somebody fucking loves cars. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was, I know, they probably I know watched obvious, Bullet. but like, it, it almost kind of took away from it a little bit because I, I felt like this movie was trying to get me in the, in the point of view of the children, which the children right. were great. That girl who played... The Jemima and the boys good too, but she was really no, that she was, was the, really special. I mean, that was the only film and, she ever did. 
And, uh, yeah, who knows she, what she, happened? Child no, stardom. She, she, she died never long did ago. From she never did anything about that. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But if we were supposed to get into the point of view of these kids, I remember feeling like there was a there was a dominating sense of of automobile love and almost like a weird fetish that kind of got in the way of it of the story for me and i mean kind of cut into the middle of the point of view because like jeff as much as i agree with you that opening was pretty cool i remember thinking like that's not why those kids love this car there was some subtle those kids stuff have that a different was, emotional attachment there was some to it there's something thrown in as more well. magical like the director, threw in, the, the, the director threw in some subtle stuff like the when Chitty puts out the floats and like is able to float on water like the the colors of that and in particular the colors of the medal of the baron later are actually the colors of the women's suffrage movement in 1968 wow as well there's Pretty some cool. subtle political statements in there as well Pretty cool how about can we just talk about the big picture issue too the the upset me at the end of it i was like what the fuck when he basically tells her i can't be with you because you're rich and i thought it was mature she comes back at him and says if i said that to you you would think i'm a snob and i was like good for her maybe this yeah. movie might be more interesting than i thought it was going to be and then he goes home and gets rich and now he can be with her but i mean <laughs> no seriously don't you love a happy ending i mean they met last week they went on one date they got engaged that's totally gonna end well that was the first. That was the first. Yeah, I could not stop thinking about that too. When we when we come out of this fucking acid trip, Raul Dahl hallucination that has taken place in their first outing together, the kids say, and then Julie and Daddy get married, and she looks at him and says, "Is that how this ends?" Dude, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's it's, weird. seriously, it's a throwback to Greece too. It's like, no, you 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 will be okay and find luck in love if you can change yourself. I mean, forget about the messaging. Like, if you could just get yeah. that bubble gum, that makes you, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. But look, some of the numbers were great. All I'm saying is, if this was just the, you know, the car sequences and then the kids, and then, you know, they want the dad to, to buy the car for them, and he's an inventor and he finds this woman, that's enough right there. Why the grandpa goes, he, get, he gets airlifted to Bulgaria, Hush. and then P- the car has, o- yes. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like, is the movie yeah, Alice cool in Wonderland all over again. or is like what, like it just got out of control. Like all of a sudden I, I was like really laying a nice yellow brick road to some like fucking Emerald city. And then all of a sudden I, I have no idea why there's a kid, a guy who can smell children is, is the <laughs> central character. Now all of a sudden this guy's like, my nose has never let that me down. I know how to sniff kids. And then he's running around yeah. looking for kids with his nose. I mean, and I was like, the funniest movie, thing is that, that child catcher was voted one of the scariest characters on film. I mean, Voldemort is not, but he is creepy, and he did well, inspire um, Marilyn Manson's fucking album. I believe that. Uh, apparently. That nose was that good. That nose good. is huge. That was pretty cool. It was very Raoul Dahl. I appreciated that. I thought there, a lot of performances were amazing. Like Again, I feel yeah. like they cast all these incredible, hilarious yeah. English actors. Mary the, Poppins the was, their, was their dress rehearsal, because it was basically just Mary Poppins, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the songs the Barons, were basically like, the Barons, this is where the, like, the last things that go. It's like the same shit. The Baron's cohorts, his little entourage yeah. were hysterical. All their little physical bits were great. He was really I, funny. I mean, the, the I Baron... The grandpa was funny, but both the, of his numbers should have been cut. The Baron... Yeah, when he gets to the yeah. the Baron was blow-filled from 
fucking James Bond, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like he was a the past no, no, he wasn't Blofeld. He was, go, he was Goldfinger. The Baron was Goldfinger from James Bond. <laughs> That's true. I'm not even that, kidding. Same actor. Isn't isn't that Lionel Jeffries? Isn't he the guy yeah. who wrote? Yeah. Right. Grandpa, <laughs> that is Grandpa Lionel Pots. Jeffries. Um, Why does he call him Grandpa to his face when the children aren't in the room? So that the audience. The really knows funny this thing is, is like Dick Van Dyke was six months older than that guy. True. <laughs> yeah, they had a Golden yeah, Girls thing going on. Yeah. Lord, scrumptious. Like, seriously, like, it, it, when did they go down the rabbit hole? The car flew, and now all of a sudden, like, at least with Alice, you know when the hallucinogenics hit. <laughs> like, with this, all of a sudden, they, they hit, and I was like, I forgot I took drugs. It, it, all right. I didn't know I took all them. Right. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize I took them. It was, I, I still uh, think I some mean, of the numbers are really, really fun, and Dick Van Dyke is great. Okay, look. And, and yeah. posing the original question, was it only good because I was five? Maybe. Maybe. I think it's. I, it was still good for me. It was still good for yes. me. Yes. So much of it no, was yeah, for me. Like, so much of it was are, for me. Like, if, if you're a fan of pop culture and you want to see where half that came from, watch this film. Yeah, yeah I don't think I'll ever watch it again as an adult. Me but either. But I would definitely watch it with I kids. I will not Maybe either. A, no, no. Uh, you, mean, you mean not as an adult. You mean not with children. Yeah. As a as a lone adult, I now don't know that, if I'll yeah. ever sit As down. An adult. If I ever watch thanks, a child again, I'll see it. Thanks, Jeff. There, thanks, Jeff, for drilling that home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate um, that. There really was fun stuff. Watch it with your kids. It's long, so cut out about half an hour. It's just skip so the whole movie. It was, it was one of my wife's favorite movies. She used to watch it with her mom all the time. So we we really I, dug I, it. So. I totally get. I can see the sentiment of it, and it really does. The score really does sound like Mary Poppins, not just because it's the same composers. But because they use the cut songs from Mary Poppins. I mean, it sounds exactly the same. It really, really does. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. They, they have All right. a specific All right. style. I, I feel like we've, we, have we, have we drummed it up enough? Should we move on? Yeah. I think, I think we, we gave it the accurate amount of both positive and critical. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, if you're stuck in the house and you need something to watch to entertain the kids, this might do it. Amazon Prime, available. Or streaming. Yeah. All yeah. right, friends, another good podcast, I would say, if I could say so myself. Next Shall week. We introduce the films we're going to be watching next week. Dave, Ooh. what do you think? We're going to 1987. We're going to watch Jackie Brown. Uh-huh. Mm. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. And the Grease 2 of Speed Movies, Speed 2. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, oh Gee, I hope, I hope we can redeem this film. John, are you excited about the Tarantino Paul Thomas Anderson show off at the beginning of our pod next week? I'm enormously excited. I'm very excited. And uh, I'm have, very wait, curious have, to rewatch Speed 2. <laughs> have any of us seen Jackie Brown? Is there a Because I, I feel like I've I seen a scene. I, have not. I don't think I've seen the no, whole thing. No, it's the one I haven't seen. I've seen. I, I don't I've know why. I've definitely seen like happened. a De Niro yeah. scene where he's like looking for, he's like in a, guinea tea and he's like basically like raging bull but the second half where he's fat i just don't remember the rest of the movie anyway i'm excited dude yeah i feel bad i haven't seen it it's the only tarantino movie he did not write himself so it should be interesting wow Mm. all right film fans thanks for being with us for another another week we will see you next week for the film of 1997 